0: Hello and welcome to the Archbishop's Corner. This is where we meet each week to talk with Hartford Archbishop Leonard Blair about faith, morals, the life of the Church today, and how the Gospel makes sense in an ever-changing world. This is where we go to find the answers to our lingering questions about the teachings of the Church living the faith life of a Catholic in contemporary society, and developing a stronger relationship with God. I'm Father John Gatzak, with many questions that you and I will ask Archbishop Blair as he responds to what matters to you in the Archbishop's Corner. How far is the East from the West? Further and further by the moment. Travel West, and you can make laps around the globe and never go East. Journey east and, if you desire, maintain an easterly course indefinitely. Now, that's not the case with the other two directions. If you go north or south, you'll eventually reach the north or south pole and you'll change directions. But east and west have no turning points, and neither does God. His forgiveness is irreversible. He sees your secret deeds and hears your unsaid thoughts. The lies, the lusts, the longings, he knows them all. God assessed your life from the first day to the last, from worst moment to best, and made his decision. He wants us to set our lives on the right course, the correct direction. But what direction is the right direction to take? Well, questions come to Archbishop Leonard Blair looking for answers, clarity, and the right direction to take. If you listen closely, attentively, those answers can form the foundation of an active faith. Archbishop Blair encourages us on the right road of life. Because to live a most fulfilled life, there is no other direction.
1: The following is an encore presentation of the Archbishop's Corner. This program originally aired on August 14, 2016, on the 20th Sunday in Ordinary Time. If you have a question for Archbishop Blair, you can submit that question by email to archbishop at wjmj.org. Archbishop Blair welcomes your question. Once again, that email address is archbishop at wjmj.org. Now we hope you enjoy this encore presentation of the Archbishop's Corner.
0: So thank you, Archbishop Blair, for sharing your time with us in the Archbishop's Corner. How are you today?
2: Very well, thanks. How was your breakfast? Bre- <laughs> my breakfast? Yeah. Uh, why do you ask? My breakfast well, you, is uh,
0: pretty simple. Well, we have to get up early to do this program on a Sunday
2: morning at 7 o'clock. Do you usually now don't have- be lying. Don't be lying to the people. All right. Tell the truth then. Well, we know it's pre-recorded, it's, and so my uh, breakfast has been in in my stomach for a while now. (laughs) Do you usually like a large breakfast on a Sunday morning anyway? Oh, I eat the same always, except when I'm at something, where obviously it varies. But if I'm home, I always just have a little uh, instant oatmeal, uh, half a banana, and a little piece of cheese, and that's my breakfast.
0: There we go, ladies and gentlemen. Now you know what Archbishop Blair has for breakfast. Wow, (laughs) I'm sure
2: that the world is going to be a different place now that people know something like that.
0: And what a way to start a program, right? Right. Anyway, we must
2: have something better than that.
0: I, I do, because today's a big history day, and I know that you're a history fan. So let's begin by recognizing that today, the 14th of August, is known as VJ Day, commemorating the day in 1945 when President Harry Truman announced that Japan had surrendered to the Allies in World War II. My question to you is, that's 71 years ago, Archbishop. When you look at the world today and the state of affairs of the world today, have we learned anything from World War II?
2: Well, I think every great tragic loss of life and untold suffering that's caused by war and ruination is supposed to teach us a lesson. But the trouble is, after 70 years and even in the meantime, we still live in a fallen sinful world and the causes of conflict and uh, division and war remain. I think World War II made quite an impression and certainly the use for the first time of the atomic bomb made people realize that the stakes in war were even higher, uh, more massive. Of course, if you're killed in a war, you're killed whether you're one person or a million. But the point is that the, the massive destructive power of modern weaponry and such made it more important than ever to avoid war. Certainly for a long time we have avoided a, a war, world war, such as what Happen then. But as Pope Francis has said more than once, today we are already in the midst of a third world war that's being fought piecemeal. And by that he means, you know, it's not like uh, the Allies versus the Axis in World War II, but rather it's this violence and um, all the things that we, we see around us happening uh, daily. And so have we learned something? Well, we, we we should have learned something and I think we did, but the question is how much can people learn to live together in peace, and uh, that will always be problematic in a sinful world.
0: It, it doesn't seem like we have learned to appreciate and, and respect all human life any more now than 71 years ago. I mean, with all the the terrorism that exists in the world, the violence that exists in, in our world, the, the loss of human life, the destruction, the wanton destruction, especially these bombings that occur in places throughout the world, indiscriminate killing of, of innocent human life, right? Huh?
2: Well, absolutely, and of course we have many forms of violence. Sadly, there even even there's even less respect for human life than there once was uh, in society and in our culture and in our laws, and uh, we all know uh, you know, the horrific scourge uh, of abortion, for example. Um, I was at the Knights of Columbus Supreme Convention in Toronto recently, and the Supreme Knight Carl Anderson gave a truly impassioned plea uh, for us to be witnesses to the gospel of life. And he mentioned that, you know, the number of abortions in the United States uh, over the years is greater than the total present population of Canada. Uh, So when we talk about wiping out a country, you know, uh, it, it really makes you think. And I just I, there are many other ways in which life is, is not respected either, the violence on our streets. Mm-hmm. You know, you read about some of our cities where innocent people, even little children, are shot to death just sitting on their front porch. Um, you know, the world's always been uh, a cruel and violent pla- place because it's, it's a fallen world. But these kinds of things in our society in particular and the wanton violence is really a great sign of disrespect for life. And I
0: sometimes stop and and try to think and, and rationalize whether or not, because the media is so far advanced today, and by that I mean that technologically we can communicate and the world has become smaller because of instant communication around the world. Do we know about these incidents more often? Or has the number of incidents increased? Is it just that we know more about them? Anything that happens around the world, we can instantly know about it? Or have these incidents really increased in number?
2: Well, I think they've increased. Uh, now, tr- it's true that the incident communication, there have always been pockets of grey violence throughout the world, uh, I'm sure. And even in our own country, you know, if you look at history, there have been horrible things that have happened. Um, you know, one looks, for example, at the lynching of African Americans mm-hmm. uh, in different periods of our nation's history that are just absolutely lamentable and awful not to mention, you know, the institution of slavery itself. But 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 that kind of thing, that's been part of, of the history of the world. But I do think today that the kind of um, access to weaponry and such where, uh, you know, uh, certainly when when we were kids, uh, even in the poorer sections of a city like Detroit where I grew up, people were not just shot randomly on the street all the time because of gang violence and all kinds of things. Um there, there were the gangs, there was crime, but, but it seems like uh, when you read sometimes about how people are just shot for nothing on, the, on a city street in our country, it, it, it does bespeak a greater disrespect for human life.
0: Well, this whole discussion now brings up another question that we might as well tackle right now, right off the bat, because given all the violence that we have seen of late, both in the United States and abroad, will the Archdiocese of Hartford host any special events in the near future to promote peace?
2: Well, certainly, um, a couple of things. I mentioned the Supreme uh, Convention of the Knights of Columbus. The Knights have made a very big effort uh, as a fraternal organization to try to stem the violence in the Middle East and the persecution of Christians internationally. Mm-hmm. And so on that front, we had the Arch- the Bishop of Aleppo give a talk in New Haven uh, you know, Aleppo is a city in the news constantly for the grievous suffering of the people there in the civil strife. We recently, at St. Thomas Seminary here, had a professor from Notre Dame give an excellent talk on Islam, uh, educating them that was very well attended. It was also a fundraiser to help in the Middle East. The church on many fronts, whether it's Catholic relief services or many of the uh, organizations through the Holy See, are very active. But locally, when we talk about peace in our own country and the need for reconciliation and healing, we we are well aware of the uh, the Black Lives Matter uh, situation that has elicited such a response from people who are concerned about uh, the use of lethal force by police. But at the same time, we also have the great tragedy uh, also of police being gunned down. Mm. And uh, so our National Conference of Bishops uh, recently announced that we're going to have September 9th, Friday, September 9th, the Feast of St. Peter Claver as a day of prayer and reflection for, I guess you could say, domestic peace, for understanding, for prayer to resolve these things in a good way. But that same weekend, uh, September 11th, uh, is actually the 15th anniversary of 9-11, and the cathedral are going to have a blue mass. I think I spoke about this in a previous you program. Did, you did, you did. Um, and that, that's at 11 uh,
0: o'clock that Sunday, right?
2: Yes. A uh, blue mass, it's called, you know, for, for first responders. And those two things are certainly, this year in particular, uh, meant to be uh, seen together. I think they're, they're both uh, very important. And... Um, Anything we, you know, when we try to talk about uh, establishing or creating peace and justice in the world, it always starts in our own corner of it. Uh, We have to be concerned about the larger world, but we also have to be concerned about our own country and our own communities.
0: Now, this Day of Prayer for Peace in our communities, that has been uh, spearheaded by the the bishops of the United States. Will, Will this be a particular event that takes place on the 9th of September?
2: It will be. We're still, on you know, this is short notice, uh, but because we're only talking about uh, a, a month from now or less, really. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, we have yet to receive all the materials that are being prepared, but it will take the form of some prayer uh, service or vigil, uh, and I would certainly use the occasion to encourage. I already have written a letter to all of our priests, as you know, mm-hmm. uh, encouraging uh, our prayers and uh, and reflection on what is happening, particularly in our country with regard to these matters. Um, I've encouraged our priests uh, during the Sundays of Ordinary Time to uh, occasionally use Eucharistic prayer too for reconciliation, which is a beautiful, I mean, it's the Eucharistic prayer, but its theme uh, fits in very perfectly with what we're we're talking about. And um, so there there will be, you know, I think it's very important too for our prayers of the faithful at mass for the intentions on Sunday to be attentive to what's going on in the world and to pray for these things. I couldn't agree uh, with you more. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that that uh, they have to be like reading the newspaper. That's not what I mean, that they're just about news events. But what I do mean is that, you know, it, it's it's one thing to pray for uh, peace in general. It's another thing to be a little more specific. Mm-hmm. Or if there's a great tragedy someplace, to specifically pray for the victims of that particular situation not just to use a general kind of prayer for everything that could have be is interchangeable on any sunday i think we have to be a little bit more attentive to that
0: and, and to, to be aware that we have the power of prayer behind us, and we should be praying for these these horrendous situations that transpire, and the people, the victims that are involved in these things, the families that lose loved ones throughout this, it, uh, th- that brings us together as a community, not just a community of faith, but the general community at large, to, to get to know and to respect one another, I- including respecting our differences. Huh? Absolutely. Well, Archbishop, um, moving on to another topic. Uh, Tomorrow, August 15th, is the Feast of the Assumption of the Blessed Virgin Mary. Maybe you can take this opportunity to remind us of the meaning of this feast and its significance to all of us.
2: The Assumption is the word used to describe uh, the Church's faith that from the very moment of the end of her earthly life, Mary was taken both body and soul to heaven as the Immaculate Virgin Mother of of the Mother of God, the Mother of Jesus. The important thing to remember is that where she is gone, we are called to follow, Mm. Uh, that Mary is the Church's first and most perfect member, and she has already been privileged to enter heaven completely. But every time we say the creed, we say we believe in the resurrection of the body, that in a mysterious way that's beyond our comprehension, at least from the point of view of uh, physical laws of nature, that this body of ours is part of our eternal life. I mean, it's an essential part of who we are, and it will be transformed and glorified just as Christ's body was glorified in the resurrection and just as Mary was taken up into heaven. And another reflection I would offer is, it's interesting to realize that in heaven today, there are two human bodies glorified, the body of Christ and the body of his mother, the Blessed Virgin Mary, which means that both the male and the female bodies are in heaven in that way. And I think that's very important for us to, to, to appreciate that too, that God created us as male and female. You know, in eternity, uh, while the uh, sexual expression of our body in a physical way no longer pertains, nevertheless, we don't become some neuter being. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That we, we preserve our identity as a man or as a woman, even in heaven. And this is reflected in the reality of of uh, what I described about Christ and Mary in heaven now. So I think it's one of the prayers or prefaces that says, "Where she, where she has gone, we hope to follow." Uh, that's our great hope that we, if we live a life of faith, and we we are united to Christ, uh, then we will also share His glory as He has uh, shared His glory with His His mother in heaven.
0: This year, the feast of the Assumption falls on a Monday, and therefore the obligation to participate in mass has been removed i heard one catholic say to me you know father it seems like we're getting soft the catholic church is getting soft because there's no more obligation to attend mass if the holy day of obligation falls on a monday you don't think that's true do you
2: no i don't think it's true and i think uh... one of the things first of all is that our catholic people many of them don't feel obliged by much Even if we said it's a holy day of obligation, the attendance is not what it should be. The other factor is that with the fewer number of priests we have, it does become uh, very uh, difficult sometimes to provide uh, a full range of Masses uh, at the same level. And the last thing is that I would hope that uh, every devout Catholic who is able would still attend the Mass uh, just because they're not obligated to doesn't mean that they shouldn't. It's still a solemnity, a great solemnity of the Mother of God, and I would invite everyone to consider going to Mass.
0: And there are many Catholics that have great devotion to the Blessed Virgin Mary, and and therefore this is a perfect opportunity to celebrate that devotion, celebrate that relationship. Yes. Archbishop, we've got so many questions that have been submitted by our WJMJ listeners, but before we get to those questions, let's take a look at our Gospel for today on this This is the 20th Sunday in Ordinary Time. After we listen to this gospel as it is dramatically presented, it's from the 12th chapter of Luke's gospel, then we'll ask you for your reflection and what you feel that we should be focusing on regarding this gospel. I came to cast fire upon the earth and would that it were already kindled. I have a baptism to be baptized with and how I am constrained until it is
2: accomplished. Do you think that I have come to give peace on earth? No, I tell you, but rather division. For
0: henceforth in one house there will be five divided, three against two and two against three. They will be divided, father against son and son against father, mother against daughter and daughter against her mother, mother mother-in-law against her daughter-in-law and daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. Well, Archbishop, I'm. Sure that most people can't wait to hear your explanation of this one. I have come to set the earth on fire. Do you think that I have come to establish peace on the earth? No, I tell you, but rather division. Is this the same Jesus, the Prince of Peace, who said, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you?
2: Well, as with everything in Scripture, uh, there, uh, the truth is uh, symphonic, and that there always are two aspects to a mystery. And whenever you lose one aspect, you're, uh, you're, you're in danger of either watering down, distorting the gospel, or you're in danger, really, of preaching a false gospel. And so it's true. Jesus said the peace that he came to bring is not peace in this world. And, and we were talking earlier in the show about uh, the situation in the world today. Mm. It's very important to remember that Jesus did not come to, to uh, bring an earthly paradise in this world. In the end, when he comes again in glory to judge the living and the dead, and this world ends, then yes. But until the end of time, we live in a sinful fallen world, and so we should not expect paradise here. And the peace that Jesus brings is not the peace of this world, but it is the peace that comes from faith, from believing. And that's what the radical demand of the gospel is that we've just heard. You know, we like to have a nice, comfortable Christianity, uh, one that's kind of sentimental sometimes, uh, and consoling and comforting. But Jesus says that he's setting family members against one another. Why? Because they have to make a decision to love him even more than their own earthly loved ones. You know, Jesus says in the Gospel, unless you love me more than you love your own father or mother, you cannot have any uh, be part of my, my kingdom. Well, if he were just a human being, this would be outrageous. But we remember that Jesus is God. He's the Son of God. Then we can understand that every human love has to be measured by the the greatest most important love of all and that is the love of god in christ so he talks about his baptism uh, you know fire uh, setting the world ablaze uh because he's talking about his death on the cross and the 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 mission to bring all people to believe in him and to obey his commandments and to come to eternal life
0: if anyone takes the opportunity to take a good hard look at the life of jesus they're going to come away from that thinking that comfort and ease certainly played very little part in the life of Jesus. So actually, why do we think that it should play a, a big part in your life or my life? When we place our faith in Jesus, comfort and peace is not part of the bargain.
2: No, and and, and I mean the comfort is not just about physical comfort, but it's about the, the comfort of um, or the lack of comfort with the things of this world, that is to say a spirit of detachment that we realize that what we possess here and everything that we have, even the many good, they're all from God, they're all a gift, there are many good, wonderful, beautiful things. But without God and without being making God first, all these things eventually lose their meaning, they can even betray us, they can lead us astray, they will never bring us a complete happiness or peace unless they are first rooted in a right relationship to God. And and then that expresses itself in love of other people and and the right use of the things of this world.
1: You're listening to an Encore presentation of the Archbishop's Corner. This program originally aired on August 14, 2016, on the 20th Sunday in Ordinary Time. If you have a question for Archbishop Blair, you can actually voice your question by calling the Archbishop's hotline at 203-805-5047. Archbishop Blair welcomes your question. Please call 203-805-5047 to voice record your question. Please continue to enjoy this encore presentation of the Archbishop's Corner.
0: And we're in the Archbishop's Corner with Archbishop Blair, the Archbishop of Hartford. Archbishop Mario from Bristol has a question. There was an article in the paper asking the question, what's the best part of church? Two priests provided answers ranging from closeness to God, music, prayer, fellowship, and being part of a bigger picture. Mario's question to you, Archbishop, is how would you answer that question? What's the best part of church?
2: Well, I, I have to interpret the question a little bit, because mm-hmm. it's what's the best part of church? And the answers that were given suggest that that question means about going to church rather than about religion itself. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to interpret it that way. The other answers were closeness to God, music, prayer, fellowship, and being part of a bigger picture. I think that uh, in that context, the best part of church is a profound sense of connectedness, a profound sense of being part of what we call communion with God and with one another in faith. That to me is the most important aspect of going to church, being in communion. And that, of course, is a profound theological, spiritual, even mystical word in in Christianity. Even though Mass is not universally in Latin anymore, where it was the same everywhere, it's amazing to me that people, in my years living in Europe and Rome and all that, Catholics can travel around the world and can go to a church, and even in the most different culture, they can have a sense of being at home, of being in communion with other people by going to church. I think too, you know, in the Mass, in the Eucharistic prayer, when we pray for the Bishop and for Francis, our Pope, that's not to pray for him like we do in the Prayer of the Faithful. That's the ancient practice of saying this celebration of the Eucharist is in full communion with the whole church because it's in full communion with the successor of St. Peter, Pope Francis. These are powerful things in a fragmented, divided world, this sense of unity and belonging. And like I say, I think any Catholic who practices their faith and has traveled in foreign countries can appreciate this. Mm -hmm. But I think, for me, that is, uh, I think that's really the best part of, of what it means to go to church.
0: Very good. Interesting Michelle from Wethersfield has a question. Pokemon, Pokemon, Pokemon. That's all I hear lately, and all my grandkids can talk or text about, she says. I don't understand the fascination and find this tracking game a bit dangerous. Now I see a Pokemon poster on my church's front lawn. What is the purpose of this, and is falling into social media hype really necessary? You're familiar with Pokemon?
2: Yes, I've, I've heard about it. Um, you know, wh- what can I say? Uh, if you can't beat them, join them. Uh, maybe that's partly the answer, but not the full answer. And by that, I simply mean that this, this whole phenomenon of these things, uh, which is so appealing to our young people, I mean, there are obviously downsides to these things, I, I'm sure. But on the other hand, there can be some positive things. And I think some of our churches are trying to uh, make use of that. Say, you know, in, in this day and age, if young people are drawn to come to a church, because it's one of these poke stops or whatever uh, that they're supposed to follow through on as part of this game, then why not use it as an occasion to invite? And so now sometimes it can create problems because uh, uh, it can wind up uh, that people approach the church in such a way that it can do damage to the property, even be vandalized, or or people can get hurt and, and sue us. That's the kind of world we live in. But on the other hand, uh, if a church tries to go out of its way to be welcoming uh, to these young people in a responsible way and and in a reasonable way, then I certainly can't say that that's wrong. I I would hope that we could bring some good out of it.
0: And maybe make it a teachable moment for these young people?
2: Sure. And especially if we have, you know, young Catholics in particular, I know in my old hometown of Detroit they've had these flash mobs, I think I've mentioned this maybe on the radio before too, that young people have had a flash mob where they all text one another to all go to a particular church on Sunday, particularly the inner city parishes of Detroit, which are magnificent, beautiful churches, but there are not many people there anymore, and suddenly the priest is uh, inundated uh, de- <laughs> delighted, but also perhaps overwhelmed to find a big congregation of young people at his church. I can't say that's bad. You know, if that's going to bring young people together to come to church, and as long as it's done responsibly, then, you know, there might be some downsides to it, but I think that's a good thing.
0: Rose from Rocky Hill says, My grandson is entering sixth grade, and although he was baptized, he has not made any other sacraments. He attends church with me and questioned why little kids get to receive communion, and he doesn't. I want to enroll him in our CCD program, but I don't want him to feel any more awkward as the obviously oldest kid in the First Communion class. Is there a way he can take private classes or something else?
2: Well, Rose, I'm very happy at your interest in your grandson uh, receiving uh, the other sacraments. You say he was baptized. Apparently he's not received religious education. The only advice I can give to, to you is talk to your pastor and explain your concerns and see what can be done. There's no hard and fast rule about these things. We would certainly want him to be catechized in a way that that, uh, fits his situation. And there are ways to do that. I don't know what resources your particular parish may have, but it's very important for you to talk to your local priest.
0: I think we have time for one more question. So let's take a question from Sally from West Hartford. Sally says, my neighbor teases me about visiting the cemetery each week to visit my late husband. She chides me, saying it's a very Italian custom and that it makes no sense to visit the dead. I told her that I didn't realize it was an ethnic practice and that I find comfort in going and praying the rosary at his grave. After 10 years, is it silly of me to continue this weekly habit?
2: Sally, it is not at all silly for you to continue your weekly habit I think that great civilizations in history have always been judged in part by their veneration and respect for their dead. This is a hallmark of a civilized society. And particularly for Christianity, many, many cultures have done this. I mean, I've said before that my own heritage is, is mainly Polish, Eastern European. And I can assure you, Sally, that I have no Italian relatives, but we all, in a Polish community, were uh, visited uh, the graves, took very good care of them, offered prayers. I'm not saying that everybody needs to go every week to make this visit, but particularly the reason that you go to offer the rosary and pray for the dead, that's one of the spiritual works of mercy mm. that we're celebrating this year. So I commend you for it, and God bless you.
0: And it's not just an Italian custom or ethnic custom at all.
2: No, I mean, a traditional... Uh, Uh, Christian societies have, have made much of this.
0: We've come to the end of our time together today, so could you conclude our program with a prayer and a blessing, please?
2: Heavenly Father, in this troubled and sinful world, we ask you to give us the grace through your beloved Son, Jesus Christ, the grace of conversion and of faith, to repent and believe the gospel. And we ask particularly that by our repentance and faith and by our prayers, our own country, and the whole world may be blessed with greater justice and peace, and that we may live together in harmony and may love one another as Christ has loved us. And we pray especially that our national elections will produce good and not evil for ourselves and for the world community of which we are a part. And may Almighty God bless you, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.
0: Archbishop, thank you so much for being with us today and inviting us into the Archbishop's Corner. It's a pleasure always to be with you. And we remind everybody that we'll be on again next Sunday at 7 o'clock in the morning with a repeat at 1 o'clock.
1: Archbishop, have a wonderful week. Thank you.